mastering your emotions so you can be a safe space for the feminine mm, is yes. actually to me the art of masculinity so i would think it means two things to me one it's always like in the eye of the beholder so realize that it's okay to have a different view than somebody else two it's always being created and recreated uh i i think it means an openness to growth an openness to learning an openness to looking at what is masculinity in me and having curiosity about what parts are serving me and what parts maybe aren't serving me so well anymore. And so the art of masculinity is truly that. If you can master being a lion and a lamb, you've mastered masculinity. The art of masculinity to me means knowing how to gracefully dance between both the feminine flow and the structure of the masculine. This is The Art of Masculinity with your host, Johnny L. Sasser. Today's guest is Nick Gregoriadis. He is a martial artist, spiritual explorer, and transformational coach from Cape Town, South Africa. He has spent decades studying, traveling the world, and looking deeply within for answers on his quest for self-actualization and the ultimate truths about the human experience. A graduate of the University of Cape Town, Nick moved to London, England in his early 20s in order to dedicate himself to mastering the art of jujitsu. After several years of intensive training, he became the first person to be awarded the black belt by the legendary Roger Gracie. During his years as a competitive martial artist, he began intensive study of yoga, exercise, science, nutrition, interpersonal dynamics, and meditation. He also co-created one of England's most popular video podcasts on which he interviewed some of the brightest minds of our time. In 2012, his life was profoundly changed after a trip to the Amazon rainforest to drink the plant medicine, ayahuasca. The lessons he learned during that experience caused him to alter his life path and approach personal growth in a radically different way. Nick has authored three books, The Black Belt Blueprint, Beyond the Black Belt, and Aligned is an accomplished entrepreneur having built two successful online businesses and currently the host of the Liberation Mentor podcast. He continues to teach jujitsu classes and seminars around the world. Nick is currently in LA where he coaches men on how to face their fears, embrace their power and lead lives of extraordinary freedom and fulfillment. Such an amazing human being. And this episode was very enlightening because Nick really dives into some of the things that he's encountered in his life that have changed the trajectory of where he was going and found some form of enlightenment in who he is and balance to the man that he brings to this world. I know you guys will enjoy this episode as much as Nick and I enjoyed spending time together. And remember, I'll see you guys around the corner. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Art of Masculinity. Today's guest is Nick Gregoriadis. And it has been uh, really cool to kind of do some research into you and really dive into who you are and how you came about, like into the scene of not only just elite or elite, you know, Brazilian jiu-jitsu levels, but also just as a guy in this world, like you really, you've, you've kind of rubbed shoulders with prominent people kind of in the development space and just seeing kind of your path and reading about it. It's been really cool, man. And I'm excited to have you on the show and welcome to the art of masculinity. Thanks, Johnny. I really appreciate it. And I, 
I think the name of your podcast is what really intrigued me um, about you and your work. And, and I just connected it now. It, masculinity is, sometimes it's an art. It's an actual art that you practice, right? And uh, I'd never really thought about it that way. So that's really cool, man. Right. And you are a martial artist. So it falls right into your wheelhouse, of, mm -hmm. you know, kind of what you've done with your life. So I'm excited to explore that with you. But before we do that, I'm going to put you through the ringer, which is called the manly round. You ready for it? Let's do it. <laughs> All right, brother. It's pretty easy, but fun. Um, <laughs> what is your spirit animal and why? Uh, it's, it's a cat because I have two pet cats and I just, I love these creatures more than anything on the planet. And this is something I find very, just incredibly graceful and alluring and just fascinating about cats. So it's definitely a cat. Oh man, that they are like, especially like when we talk about big cats too, like out in the wild, mm -hmm. they're just, there's, there's something, they're so cerebral, but they're like so playful too. There's like a, mm -hmm. a nice balance between them. I, I, I gotta admit, I have a little bit of affinity towards cats as well. My wife brought home, we rescued a jungle cat from Costa Rica. Oh, and no way. And wow. now I just, I love her. She's adorable and she acts like a dog. So it's hilarious. That's cool. This, I mean, I try to explain to people that there's just something about them. There's something about, I think it's the energy, like their actual vibration. I just appreciate it really. Like it interfaces well with my energy, you know? Mm. Um, I'd love to know more about that jungle cat before we, we complete the man <laughs> round because I, I want to get one of those. Um, you can get like these cats. I forget what they're called, but it's a cross between it's like a domesticated wildcat. They call them generation three or something. They've like been bred for the last 20 years or so. And uh, they're just a little bit bigger than a regular cat, but they're way more wild, right? And, and people keep them as pets. And do you know what I'm talking about? I've never heard of this, but it would make sense. I've seen domesticated like bobcats, which are pretty big. And then oh, if yeah. you crossbreeded like a cat with like an ocelot, because they're just slightly bigger than a normal cat, that would make sense actually. Yeah. 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 So yeah. and when you say a jungle cat, what is that exactly? Is it is it just a stray cat from the jungle or, or what? what does yeah, she she was like, she was outdoors in the jungle of Costa Rica, lived outdoors, hunted outdoors. So she was like a jungle cat. And then wow. we brought her, uh, my wife brought her home and now she's a uh, uh, lavish, bougie house cat and <laughs> loves her life. Amazing. But Amazing. She was she was like hunting out there, man. She's all up in the trees. She's like living the life of a, of a, jung a true jungle cat. Yeah. Uh -huh. So, that's cool anyways um all right your next question uh if there was a song no matter where you are if there's a million people around you what is the song that if it came on you just have to start busting out singing it um sweet child of mine by guns and roses yeah good choice <laughs> yeah yeah i love that, that track like I, I might sound really stupid and naive, but like, did you guys have different music you grew up with, like in South Africa than, than like listening to that? Is that something you picked up when you moved to the States? No, that, that's a, that's a great question. Actually, you know, in South Africa, it's one of the reasons I, I love America so much. And one of the reasons I'm so happy to be here is when I was growing up towards the tail end of apartheid, you know, that kind of stuff, like we, we didn't get all of it. We didn't, but, but all the cool stuff came from America, like all the cool music and all the cool movies and cartoons and stuff. It was all from America. So like before I'd ever visited America, I knew so much about the place through 
the references I picked up from watching American movies and listening to American music and stuff. And Guns N' Roses was one of those things in high school. You know, I had um, Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 and Appetite for Destruction uh, on, on cassette. And um, <laughs> yeah, no, like, I mean, I, I just love I loved them even back then. Oh, that's cool, man. All right. Well, good. I'm glad it wasn't a dumb question because I, I always get fascinated with that because I, I don't know, like when you go, to, I spent a lot of time in foreign countries and a lot of time when you go there, they're still listening to music from like probably like the late nineties, maybe early two thousands to like, yeah. to like listening. Like today I was just even in Costa Rica, that's what they're listening to. And I'm like, have they just like not heard like new stuff or is it like they're <laughs> that like far, but I don't know. So yeah. anyways, all right. Your last question. If there was one person, so you can imagine you can time travel. If there's one person that is well-known, so relatively everybody would kind of have a general idea of who they are, that you could pull a prank on, who would it be? And if you know the prank, what would it be? Man, um, the prank part's a little bit harder, but I think Abraham Lincoln is who comes to mind. I just would love to see if, if I could get that guy to laugh because he looks like, I mean, I love, the, I really respect the guy a lot or respect what he did or what he, at least the, the story we're told about him. I don't know if it's all true, but he just seems like an incredible man, but very stern. So getting him to laugh or, or making him smile just seems like that would be a fun thing to do. Uh, the prank, I'm not sure, man. Um, maybe... I don't know, spraying him with a water gun or something. Oh, that might be a bit too close to home for what was eventually to come, but <laughs> who knows? <laughs> oh, oh you, know, you can't joke like that yet, bro. It's still too early. <laughs> oh, that's good. I like that. Yeah, Abraham Lincoln would be a good one. He did everything uh, when you saw him. He was just so stoic and mm -hmm. um, obviously for for good reason in the times that he was president, but yeah, that'd be a good person to prank for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, you did great, brother. That was a great job on the manly. Man. That's all it was. Painless. Am I a man? Does that mean I'm a man? <laughs> you are officially dubbed a man. That was it. That was your that awesome. was your rite of passage, bro. Uh, I'm gonna go find I'm gonna go find some chicks. I'll see you later. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, actually, you brought up something um that I'm very fascinated about because you said you kind of came up at the tail end of apartheid. And so um, everybody heard the intro before they're listening to this, but they know that you were from South Africa and you came over from South Africa. But I'm, I'm fascinated to understand if potentially maybe like how that kind of, um, that affected the way that you showed up as a man in the world. Like, was it like, holy crap, that shit is like something I don't even like, it's completely so far away. So I did everything to push it away or like, how could have that you believe that influenced maybe some of the forms of how you grew up as a young boy and coming into manhood? That's a great question, Johnny. Really good question. Actually, South Africa is, uh, it's such an interesting and unique place. Um, in many ways, you know, there, there's all these different races that are like, just stuck next to each other and have such different perspectives on the world and the way it works. And that obviously led to a lot of confrontation and things like apartheid. And there's generally this undercurrent of like, uh, there's always a threat of violence and, mm. you know, it's, it's, I don't know if, if fear is the right word. I think fear maybe is, a, is, is, is the right word or the, a low level anxiety. Right. Mm. And I think one, one of the th ways that, that 
men especially respond to that in South Africa is they, they create like a mach machismo or like a macho persona to counter that. Um, so South Africa is definitely a place that's filled with tough guys or at least guys that are trying to be tough guys. They're into like barbecuing and playing rugby and guns and like very much what I imagine the, uh, well, not imagine I've been to Texas. So I know it's kind of similar to, to Texas, right? Um, yeah. So there's a lot of, there's definitely a lot of that in South Africa. And if, if you don't embody that, then you're generally going to have a hard time or at least that was the way it was when I was growing up, you know, like I wouldn't say I was an effeminate kid. Um, I mean, I played sports and did judo and, and those types of things, but I definitely wasn't like a macho kid either. Right. So mm -hmm. for me, it was like, I was always in this kind of um, weird middle ground, you know, like I wasn't a geek, but I wasn't a jock. I was kind of like never really accepted by either group. So I think, mm. um, that was one of the things when I look back, like when I think about South Africa, it's the, and, and that's, there's another part of that, which is you also, as a, as a South African, especially as a white South African growing up around these people who, you know, they're, they're very impoverished and they're struggling. Right. And you, you're a have, and they're have nots and mm. they, they resent you for it. Right. So you basically surrounded by all these people who resent you and you kind of have to develop a thick skin you just have to it's just it's part part of the part of what happens so when i when i came out into the world when i left and i originally went to london i think a lot of people perceive me as being like an arrogant person and they generally perceive some white south africans as being arrogant but it's it's not yeah. really arrogance it's it's more like a protection me mechanism that we've developed to cope in a in a very i'd say hostile environment Wow, that is incredibly intriguing because I, I think I mean, I didn't know that. And I think a lot of listeners probably wouldn't have understood that. And so I know that you kind of I mean, martial arts weren't super foreign to you. I know that your father was a martial artist. Um, and but do you think like it sounds like but I'd love to hear from you. Was it because of that kind of undercurrent of threat and kind of hostility that led you down the path of being such an elite level um, Brazilian jiu-jitsu? Uh, yeah, I think that had something to do with it. Like there's martial arts. No, no, one, no one starts martial arts because they feel empowered. No one does that. They, mm. they start martial arts because they want to feel empowered, right? Or they, they want mm. to deal with something. And I think for me, it was a combination of like maybe that low level anxiety from living in that society um, combined also with, I wanted to impress my dad because my dad was a karate black belt. And, you know, when you're a kid, your dad is your hero, right? Like in, in your eyes, he's your hero. So I, I just wanted to kind of like um, impress him and, and live up to the kind of ideal that he had, he had provided for me. Mm, yeah. And that's like, as you say that it's it, it, looking at that, it's so it's such a theme for most men, which I think is is what really causes a lot of pain in men when they get older because they never ever get that pat on the back. Um, did you ever get that acknowledgement from your father at any point in your life, or was that something that you had to come to terms with that you became elite, but he was never going to be like a oh great job, Nick. What a, what a great question, man. You've got, you've got all the questions today, man. Um, <laughs> so 
You know, the funny thing is, uh, Johnny, I mean, this isn't my idea, but it, it is what happened to me. Um, I've heard it expressed before. I eventually got my dad's approval, but by the time he was finally ready to give it to me, I didn't need it or want it anymore. Mm. You know, like it was, it's not even that I didn't want it. I just didn't need it. It just, it was, I was indifferent to it. It was, it was pleasant, but I was like, nah, dude, I did it on my own. I got my own approval, which I think is more important. Mm. And where, well, like, where was that switch for you? Do you remember like where that switch was, where you were like, man, I'm really proud of what the fuck I've done in life and like where I've brought myself regardless of anybody else. That That is continually like, I, I don't look at it as, as that sort of binary, that switch was off and then it's on. I think it, mm. it's more like this gradual process of it's going from off to more and more on and it's still not complete. There's still days when I, in fact, yesterday was one when I just was like, man, you're, you're a cool dude. Like you've done, you're, you're a good guy. You know, like I, like I was looking at my life and I was like, no, you're, you're cool. Um, and so it's, it's just a progression. Um, and I can say it started, it probably started for me, I'd say 10 years ago when I was in my early thirties, it started and it really intensified a couple of years ago when I got divorced because my approval for myself, I realized hadn't been based anymore on my father or, or like um, I'd given myself approval, but, but not total pr approval and acceptance. And a lot of it was still contingent upon, upon women, actually. Like I, I needed the approval of a woman, right. Which at the time was my, was my wife, not my ex-wife. So that's when it intensified. Like I, it was very difficult for me and I had to really dive deep and, and, and take a long look and realize I don't need the approval of a woman either. I don't need the approval of a woman or my father or anyone else. I really just need to be right with myself. Mm, that's super powerful because that uh, one, having the awareness to realize that you didn't need that and, and the awareness that you had some form of attachment to women's approval. I think a lot of men can resonate with that. I know I, I have in my life as well. And that's been a struggle that I've had to also go through. But then saying that, you know, you, you could connect with yourself and be like, no, all that matters is what's in here and who I believe I am and the confidence I have in myself. Did that come from, um, would you say like you, that came from like either self-development on, on who you are, or did that come from an external source like plant medicine or anything like that, that kind of assisted you down that path? It's, it's definitely a, co a combination of, yeah, internal work and the internal work is facilitated by external things, right? I'm very, I'm a very self-reflective person. Um, and I use things like plant medicine to enhance that self-reflexivity. But generally I find that it comes through pain, right? Like when you, when you really even pain, pain is a, an indicator that something's wrong or your strategy is wrong. And mm. the times in my life when I've been in most pain or most un uncomfortable or disillusioned makes me really like stop and say okay what what is it about the way i look at the world that's inaccurate and that's causing me to feel this way and then i trace that back and i i, I find what that is and then i have to change my perspectives to accommodate that is there is there any uh like book or was there a certain teaching or mentor that allowed you to step into that path is there some assistance 
um, from something other than just you doing self-reflection that kind of said, Hey, here's kind of the, the, the foundation on how you look into yourself. There was a few, I mean, one that I, I think people who are listening to this that have heard my work before are probably going to get bored of me referencing this, but there's a, <laughs> there's a book called um, letting go the pathway to surrender by David R. Hawkins. And his, his work really influenced me. And that, that work was largely surrounding um, emotions and the, the healthy way to process emotions and deal with emotions. Also, the work of Osho, the spiritual, the spiritual mm -hmm. teacher of the 20th century. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with him. His work was very influential to me. Uh, I, I work with a, a guy now, a mentor now, who's a, a spiritual guru. And he, um, he helped me a hell of a lot, especially um, at the point of the divorce when I really like I had to really go deep and, and see what was uh, where I wasn't seeing things clearly. And, and his work, um, his name is Rocco Jarman. Um, his work's very powerful. That, that helped a lot. That more than anything, probably. How, how can like if you were talking to the men you kind of grew up with or the men you saw in South Africa, this, these very like, you know, men, you know, considered men's men and hard men, as you reference them, if you were talking to them, like, how can we open the door to those guys to see that life could be better and there could be more happiness on the other side if they were to dive into something like that and to start exploring themselves? How, like, how would you, I guess, present that to them or how would you want to present that to them? I would, I would say to them that their definition of masculinity is very limiting. It limits them. Right. And it's usually because it's this binary, you either a pussy or you're a fucking man, right? Like it's, it's this binary thing. And I, for one, don't believe that men should be super soft and effeminate and in touch with their feelings all the time, right? I don't, I mean, some men are generally more effeminate than others and that's, that's totally cool. But I, I don't think that you need to start weeping at every like sad scene in every movie. Um, and I'm not saying you can't do these things. I'm just saying that's not a requirement. But at the same time, it's not a requirement that you've got to go be a lumberjack and drink whiskey every night. You know what I mean? It's this, it's, I think it's a, it's a paradox and it's an interplay between sometimes you've got to be vulnerable. You really do. Sometimes you have to be vulnerable and sometimes you've got to, you've got to be, you know, like you've got to put, put the wall up. Right. And I think that's when you coming back to the earlier part of our conversation is this art of masculinity is the ability to, to work with that paradox where sometimes it's about total vulnerability and sometimes it's about being the guy, right. And like stepping up and, and being strong. And um, that's what I'm trying to learn how to do. Mm. And like, I, again, you, you fascinate me a lot because you're in such this uh, you're in a, in a beautiful space and in, in where you are as a leader. And obviously as somebody who's an elite athlete and um, obviously now hearing about the background in South Africa too, but do you find that in the BJJ world, you're running across more men who have kind of found that balance? Or do you feel like there's still a struggle even in, in that world? No, there's definitely more guys. Um, definitely. I mean, some of the guys that I drink plant medicine with, some of the, the shamans and the facilitators are jiu-jitsu black belts. And these guys understand like jiu-jitsu is, again, it's that interplay between 
strength and vulnerability, there comes a point where everyone gets beaten, right? There's a point where a guy's strangling you and you have to give up, right? Like it's, there's a point, it's about, it's about, um, sometimes it's about, about resisting and sometimes it's about yielding. And jujitsu guys generally um, understand that and, and can, can see that for what it is. There are some like overtly masculine douchebags in jujitsu, like there are sure. any, any field of um, any domain or any sport, but I find jujitsu because it's kind of a weird thing. It's guys rolling around in pajamas trying to like strangle each other. Generally, <laughs> attracts guys who are a little bit more open minded and, and can see things like that. So it, it hasn't yeah. been difficult. Yeah, it, it it seems like a world that there's more men that find that balance because um, I don't feel like BJJ is is it's not just a combat sport. Like there's a lot of cerebral thought behind it. I, I like to refer to it. And, and I think you did, uh, I heard you mention it too, but it's, it's like a chess match. And it's like you said, that strength and vulnerability and balancing that and knowing when to turn it on and when you can like relax and all of that, it all, it all kind of weaves into that, you know, kind of in the constructs of bjj would you agree with that yeah yeah it's i i think of it as the ultimate problem solving uh <laughs> experiment or not experiment but um endeavor like when you're when you're rolling around in jiu-jitsu you're just trying to solve problems right and that's what we do as men um we solve problems and that's one of the reasons why or, or it's been in my experience one of the one of my failures in life in relationship has been this tendency to always want to fix things. I'm sure you're familiar with this idea that when a woman comes to you with a problem, she generally doesn't necessarily want you to fix it. She just wants you to listen. Right. But as Mm -hmm. men, because that's the way we, we conquered our environment. That's the way we dominated this planet is we solve problems, right? We present it with a, a challenge. So we start looking for a solution or a way to solve that challenge. And so your chick comes to you and says she had a hard day at work and Martian accounting is being mean to her or whatever it might be. And then you start like trying to solve the problem with you, right? And, and that isn't, in some contexts, it isn't the correct thing to do. Whereas in jujitsu, that is what you want to do. So the whole time you're kind of like feeding into that evolutionary mindset of just solving problems. Yeah. So almost a way, it's almost like a release for that then, you know, right? And that's- but so is business. The business as well. I've got a very successful yeah. friend who became successful um, at a young age. Uh, and Aaron, I'll never forget him saying to me, he said, all I do all day is solve problems. That's, that's <laughs> what I do. That's what it can be distilled down to as a, as a business owner. I just solve problems every day. And that, that really stuck with me. And I, I realized it's, it's the same. Whether you know it or not, you're constantly solving problems as, as a man moving through the world. Mm, yeah, that's, that's definitely like that one hits because I think it, it absolutely, like, especially in business, I see it like doing my own stuff. It's just constantly solving problems and creating, yeah. creating something to then, which in the end state solves some problem, whether it's your ultimate goal or something else that you're needing mm-hmm. to kind of like shore up in the business. But that makes a lot of sense. So you've traveled the world and you've competed at the highest levels of BJJ and you've been very successful in that. Um, what has been probably the, the hardest struggle on that path for you, um, in your life? Like what was probably the toughest time that you went through during that journey? Uh, 
Look, just just to be clear, man, I I became a national champion in in jujitsu. I didn't become a, a world champion, and so I think for me that the hardest part was when I got to the international level, and I realized it just I just wasn't good enough, right? Like I I was very good, but I just wasn't good enough. I just didn't have that X factor, whether it was the psychological makeup or the genetic, like physical attributes or whatever it was. I just wasn't good enough to be as good as I wanted to be. And mm. that was very difficult for me, right? To, to, um, to experience that. And that was one of the examples of, I spoke to you about pain being this, this indicator, right? I was in such discomfort and such pain realizing, look, I'm never going to be a, a jiu-jitsu world champion. Um, that caused me so much anguish and anxiety. I had to stop and, and like deconstruct my psyche and find out why that was so important to me, why it was causing so much pain. And what I realized is, is was it, it was just ultimately an insecurity, right? And that I had to accept and love myself for who I was uh, independent of how well I did in sports, the woman I was with, how much money I had, all these external things I had to really get to a point where I validated, I had like an internal sense of validation regardless of my external achievements. Mm, yeah. So you were, you were essentially letting jujitsu define you as opposed to you defining you. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And again, there's always a paradox, right? Whenever we get to the highest level of anything, you will always find an inherent paradox. And, and the paradox is you can't base your sense of self-worth on external achievements, but you can't also write them off entirely, right? Because then you just be you become someone who doesn't achieve or, or do anything in the world, right? Like, mm. so it's, it's this interplay again. It's like, yeah, I push myself and I'm trying to get better and evolve and, and achieve and do great things. But at the same time, I can't let those things define me. Mm, yeah. And, and like, can you share maybe a little bit of insight on how you took that experience and then and then allowed it to not define you but you also allowed it to still play a role in your life to success to this day um do you think you could could rephrase the question uh yeah John? yeah yeah so so essentially like how you know jujitsu was defining you for a while and then you realized okay like i that's not jujitsu isn't who i am and because that that switched and you were able to kind of find that peace in yourself, just like you did with, you know, you didn't need the external validation from other people. You were able to then tr essentially transition out of that mentality. So it didn't really run your life and the direction and purpose of your life. Right. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out like where in that story could help other men saying, okay, not letting your job or your profession define you, but letting it be an asset to still continue on your purpose. Where did you find like that, that um, compatibility would be, I guess, the best word for it. Did you find that compatibility once you redefined knowing who you were on your own terms and then starting to live that out and allowing those to kind of interweave together? So I'm... I understand the question. I'm going to, I don't know if I have a great answer for you, but I'll give you what I've it's got. It's a big question. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I apologize. Um, that's okay. No, it's, it's a good one. Um, so my very first martial arts instructor, he such an interesting guy. He, he said to me, work on things that you can take with you when you go. And he was talking about your consciousness, right? He, he mm. was, he was saying like, if you, if you work on your consciousness and your spirit, 
that you can take with you when you die, right? Whether it's when you reconnect with the source or you get reincarnated or in whatever way. Um, and that's closely linked to another interesting idea, which is anything that can be taken from you is not really you. So if you define yourself by something that can be taken from you, and that's pretty much any, everything outside yourself, your job can be taken, your looks can and will be taken because eventually you're going to be an old guy, right? Like um, your, uh, what else? Um, your material things can be taken. Your, your woman can be taken. All these external things can be taken. And it generally doesn't, like when, when I heard that, I started to realize it doesn't make sense to base how I feel about myself on something that can be taken away. It's, it's a poor strategy, right? Um, mm -hmm. However, the essence of who I am and what cannot be taken away from me is my commitment to doing the best I can in the world, by mm. giving of my very best. That cannot be taken. That's my essence. And so that essence still causes me to try to do the best I can in everything I do. And that kind of, if you do your best, if you really do your best, generally you do well, you achieve, good things come to you. So that's kind of how I um, reconcile that paradox. Yeah, no, that's beautifully put brother. And, and that was kind of the answer I was really looking for in that question. So I'm glad that the largeness of that or anything didn't convolute what I was trying to get to. Um, so I appreciate that. But as you went through a lot of, as you went through that journey of, of kind of redefining yourself, I find a lot of guys can't, they, it, it was something I worked on too, when I transitioned out of the military and out of doing protection services overseas, there was a, there was that issue of figuring out how I was going to show up in the world now without something kind of defining me like yours was jujitsu and being a world champion. And, and a lot of mine was the fact of, you know, this flag and fighting for our country, but that no longer was my life when I stepped away from it. And I find a lot of guys, they, they still rely on their jobs to define them who they are. Like if you ask them, Hey, you know, who are you? Well, I'm a plumber or I'm a mechanic. And you're like, well, I didn't ask you what you did. I said like, who are you? Yeah. But I still find a lot of guys associate their identity with their jobs and allow that to really govern kind of the idea of who they are and how they walk around in life. And so if you were to, if there was a, a tool that you had in your toolbox that you've gone through, um, that you could pass along to them to stop identifying that way and allow them to find that inner peace? What is it that you would hand to them? A couple of things come to mind. I think the first one is, is meditation, right? And it's, it's to be able to sit still and quietly and, and, and calm the mind to get to the point where you, you see the separation between yourself and your thoughts. And once that happens, once there's this little window and this little break between the, the constant stream of chatter in your mind, that you realize that you are not your thoughts, right? Mm -hmm. And all those things that you define yourself as, whether it's a military guy or a jiu-jitsu guy or a stockbroker or whatever it might be, those are just thoughts. It's literally just the thought running through your mind, right? So it, it's not even real. It's just an interpretation of the events by this software running in your mind, right? And once you create that space through something like meditation or 
or, or sitting quietly, then you see that there's something behind that. There's something behind all the thoughts. There's an essence, right? That's, that's far bigger and more powerful than the story of what you're telling yourself you are. And once you connect with that, then you realize that those other things are stories and you realize not to, to allow your identity to be wrapped up in them because your identity is something, something else entirely. Mm, yeah. And for guys that are scared of the world word meditation. So we talk, obviously I'm a big proponent of it. I love it. Um, I was a guy that was very resistant to it. What's the easiest way that you find that guys can really just kind of open that door and step foot into that quietness in, in a comfortable way where it doesn't either intimidate them or think that they're, they think that they're doing it wrong. Well, I just say, stop being such a fucking pussy. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Although I'm kind of not kidding. I mean, look, if, if you can't sit on your own in the dark with no distractions, no phone, no TV, no books, and just sit with yourself and face what comes up, man, you, you need to look at that. That, that means there's something that's got to be dealt with, right? There's something under the surface that, you, you got to face that because it's running you, right? Mm -hmm. And the second part of my answer would be, Johnny, that um, it's not as complex as, I, I mean, I always believed that meditation was this thing where like you're this dude sitting on a snow-capped mountain, like, yep. you know, like Zen glowing <laughs> surrounded with light. It's, it's not that, man. It's just, it's just sitting with yourself quietly and just watching your mind and, and just watching the thoughts drift through your mind and, and just trying to get to the point where you just let that mechanism become still or become quiet. That's all it is. And all it takes is, as I said, sitting in a place where you're not distracted, focusing on your breathing, get paying attention to your breathing. And that's all you need to do. You start with five minutes, set a timer, and it'll be five minutes in the beginning is hard. It's, it's really difficult because we're so distracted. Our minds are so busy and do five minutes every day. And then every week, add a minute on until you get to about 20 or 30 minutes. Make it a habit, do it consistently, and you will see for yourself the changes. I mean, it's not, you, you'll see. It, it won't be hard to convince yourself because there will be results. Yeah, it, it's, uh, I love that you say that, that it's like, it'll end up going faster after like you start to do it. Because man, I sit and I love actually doing meditation on Rape. I don't know if you do uh, Rape as well. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't I love, do it often, but I have used it many times. Yeah. And, and I love doing meditations on those because all of a sudden I opened my eyes and it's been 35, 40 minutes. And it mm. was like a, a really great time um, to dive in like that. And so, but at the beginning, if you told me, if you would have told me three years ago that I'd be doing meditation, number one, and then meditation with Rape, number two, I'd be like, get the fuck out of here, dude. Yeah, like, no this way. is America. We don't meditate here. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. I'd be like, get the fuck out of here. There's no way, man. But to, to your point, you know, from two guys who have been at elite levels in different, in different areas of life, like we both meditate and, um, it's something that I agree with. It's, it's, it makes a profound difference in understanding who you are and, and to deal with some of the things that just kind of are underlying that affect you every day. Right. Mm, absolutely, man. It's, uh, 
I mean, I think it's vital in the world we live in. It's it's mm-hmm. vital to click to clean your mind every day. I think a meditation is a a way of cleaning your mind. We put so much in, we take so much on board, and you 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 can't help it, right? If you if you're walking out into the street, you know, or living in the modern world, or turning on a TV, or turning on a computer, you are absorbing the fucking madness of the world, right? And I think it's really important to just clean that slate once a day with with some quiet centering time and some meditation. Yeah, no, beautiful, brother. And um, so when you uh, you were doing your your journeys through life and you ended up getting into uh, plant medicine, it's something that I'm a big advocate of. I just recently got into it about a year ago. Um, and I've talked about it on the show with, with numerous other people, but if you don't mind sharing, like, what was that like for you? Cause people say life-changing experience, right? And yeah, I, I, sometimes I believe it. And sometimes I don't when people talk about it, but I, I know a little bit about your story. So I believe that it truly was for you. And I'd love for you to share a little bit about it. If you're willing to how that experience really did change your life and how it still affects you now today. So, I mean, look, the experience is ongoing. I, I do, I do plant medicine still um, a couple of times a year. Uh, there've been a few specific, and sometimes it's, it's, it's not a profound experience. Sometimes it's just very interesting or healing or it's, it's moving, but it's not profound, right? It's not earth shattering. I remember yeah. the, the earth shattering one, funny enough, I just spoke about this on another podcast recently was uh, I was in Peru on the, the last night of the Mayan calendar. It was December 21st, uh, 2012. And I'd been there for 10 days drinking ayahuasca every second day. It was building up to this final ceremony. And uh, the way I describe that is, you know, I came out of my, my mother's tummy in 1979 in South Africa, but I was born in Peru in in, uh, December, 2012. Like that night was the night I was born. And uh, man, when when I say it smashed my ego, it's it's not a strong enough term because during the course of that night, I went to a place I became a thing that was so far from being human that I don't even have words to describe it, right? There was no wow. Nick. There was no, like, I'm from South Africa. I'm a jiu-jitsu teacher. I, like, even the understanding of what it meant to be human was, I didn't even know I was a human, right? My consciousness was just disintegrated into something else. And when you come back from something like that, it's kind of difficult to take everything too seriously, right? Um, mm-hmm. Although sometimes I've lost myself again, and you know, you start buying into the stories again, right? And in fact, my divorce was a perfect example. I I created a story of what what it meant to be married to this particular person, and looking back now, I just took that thing way too seriously, right? Um, mm. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I guess that's, that's one of the best ways I can describe how, how plant medicine changed my life. It's not, it's not the only way there've been many other ways it's helped, but, but that just that going to that point where there's just no reference points, there's nothing Mm -hmm. to hang on to. You just, it just shakes you up 
on a level that you can't really you can't really explain yeah it's a uh, i it's completely foreign in in every way um i haven't had the life you know or i haven't had like the earth shattering ones i've had a lot of mine have been um obviously whatever i needed at that time hmm. but uh i've i've experienced it through you know my wife and then through other people that i've talked with and how it's changed their lives and so and i'm a big advocate for it because obviously i support um you know veterans being a veteran myself and a lot of veterans struggle with PTSD and, and plant medicine has shown really great ways to help them through some of those things in a, in mm -hmm. a natural way, holistic way, as opposed to popping them full of pills and, and them having a slow death on pharmaceuticals. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, that's, that's beautiful, brother. Thank you for sharing that. Number one. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then number two, um, that's wild. Cause I can only imagine what you saw. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I still, to this day, it, when I just think of that night, it gives me goosebumps every single like the i mean to be fair that the mixture that this crazy shaman in the amazon was making was <laughs> i mean he, it was some special some special brew you know it had it had do you know what um have you heard of datura no i've never heard of that so me i hadn't either until until we got there datura is this it's like a it's a poison that they put on the darts in the amazon you know when you see like dudes shooting those darts at their enemies yeah. like that is the Torah, right? So he, this guy's mixture had a little bit of the Torah in it because he believed it potentiated the, the brew more. And I, I don't know if it was that man, but that guy's medicine just, it, it, uh, <laughs> it took me to another place, man. It was, it was, it was powerful. Have you been back to him since, or is that where you not, always go? Not a fuck, bro. Not a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I had one of those in me in this lifetime, and then that one's done, right? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, brother, this has been such a fun conversation just looking up, and it's, like, blown by here. Um, you know, I, I've loved, like, what you've shared and how you've supported the message of, you know, getting – you know, these conversations out to men. And so, you know, in an effort to support you, how can people best find you? How can they get into your ecosystem? And what do you got going on right now that people can tap into? Yeah, thanks for asking, Johnny. It's, it's been fun, man. I really enjoyed talking to you. You've got a, you've got a really nice vibe and it's, um, it's, it's easy and, and fun to, to engage with you. So thank you, my man. Uh, the best way to find me is go to Coach Nick G and uh, .com, and that's nick with no k just a c so coachnickg.com and uh, you can get a free copy of my book there a free digital copy of my book called aligned the modern man's guide to health wealth and fulfillment and uh you can also find my podcast i've got a, a podcast called the nicholas gregoratti show which is um i think a lot of fun i would love to have you on as a guest as well at some point in the future yeah, brother. I would love to be there. And just remember everybody listening, just check the show notes. We'll have all of this stuffed link there for you. So you can get a hold of Nick and you can be part of what he's got going on. You want to tell uh, everybody just a little bit about what your book is kind of anchored in for them? Sure. So, uh, you know, I've always been a guy who's been trying to figure this out, this life thing, right? This being a man, this having a great life. It's since I was a, uh, a young man, I was always obsessed with maximizing my, my human experience. And Aligned is a distillation of 
a lot of the wisdom I gathered on that journey, right, of the last 40, 40 years and, until the point I wrote it. And I've distilled it into 20 principles that are built around the, um, the pillars of health, wealth, and relationships. Mm. So it includes some really practical stuff, but it also includes some slightly more esoteric uh, elements, including some of my philosophies on, on what we're doing here and, and the nature of reality. But even those are grounded in, in uh, the practic or practical aspects, how we can use those understandings to improve the quality of our lives. And uh, it's something I'm very proud of. And um, I've never had anyone uh, read it and not enjoy it. So that's, I'm proud of that as well. <laughs> I love it, brother. Well, I can't wait to read it myself, man, and pick that up. And everybody listening, you know, take a, take a chance, go get the book, read it, support Nick. I'm sure, obviously, as you heard from this podcast, he's got a lot to offer. So to dive in deeper and hear about that would be really awesome. Well, I appreciate you, brother. This has been a blast. The final question I have before I release you from the jail of the art of masculinity, you've already kind of, you've already kind of alluded to it, but I'd love for you to, to give a, just a direct, I guess, to the direct question is what does the art of masculinity mean to you? Hmm. Well, I didn't see that one coming. Um, the art of masculinity is... Wow, what a, what a challenging question. I, there's many, many elements to it uh, as from what I, what I feel, but I think it's just being a force for good in the world. It's just ultimately leaving the world a better place than you found it. At least that's, that's my interpretation of it. I love that. Succinct mm -hmm. and also very positive because mm -hmm. people can really run with that. Yeah. You know, how can you leave it better than you came into it. So I appreciate that, brother. This has been a great conversation. And as always, to everybody listening, drop the ego and stay humble. Until next time, guys.